0: Good morning, Mercy Culture. That was kind of weak. I said, good morning, Mercy Culture. That's much better. It's good to see everybody this morning. Look at your neighbor and say, Are you a little chilly? Anybody got a jacket? (laughs) That's not that funny, is it? Well, welcome to the tent. Our temporary location as we remodel the building that's just right outside those doors, guys, is coming along quickly. Things are coming along. Praise the Lord. And we're going to have Arctic air conditioning in that tent is the goal. That's, that, is, that is the direction that I've given to them. I want to see my breath when I walk into that building. It's going to be awesome but it's so good to see everybody this morning. My name is Les, I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy Culture Waco, where the vision of our church is to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. And as you just saw in our video, we believe and we know that there's only one way to the Lord, and that is through Jesus, amen? amen. But in Jesus, there are many ways to connect with God. And that is, what that means is simply that, that there's not just one way that you can encounter the presence of the Lord. And we talk about this week after week, and I always think how can I communicate this to you in a way that doesn't get old and that doesn't get stale, and that I can communicate the importance of learning how you connect with the Lord. There are multiple ways to connect with God. And I know growing up in church, I was it was sort of implied that there's only one way to connect with God. I remember years ago I was sitting with my spiritual mom and I was talking to her, and me and Nikki were in the car with her, and I said, you know, I gotta be really honest with you. I don't really like to pray. I know y'all are like, what? The pastor doesn't like to pray, but I had this idea of what prayer was. She was talking about intercession. I go, I'm not an intercessor. I just, I can't lock myself away in a closet and lay on the ground for four or five hours and just wail and, and pray and be in the dark. And I, it's just not me. And I can't do that. And she looked at me like I was crazy. She was like, what you, you think? That's what intercession is. She was like, you can intercede driving down the road. You can intercede running on the trail. You can intercede doing the dishes. You can connect with God in many different ways. So it's not just about getting in a closet somewhere, and that may be the way that you connect with God, but you may connect with God through art and through creativity. You may connect with God through conversation. You may connect with God through movement, when you exercise, when you run, but we want to help you to discover how you best connect with God. And then we want to help you to develop the discipline of encountering the Lord every single day. Because when you encounter God every day, everything in your life changes. Do I have a witness in here? Can anybody testify to that fact? You know, it's one thing to be a Christian. It's one thing to accept Jesus into your heart. It's something completely different to begin to build an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus. Everything changes when you can encounter God every day. And so we want to help you discover that. And the The way that we do that is through a process that we call MC Connect, and MC Connect is the first step to joining Mercy Culture, to learning more about who we are as a church, as a ministry, to uh, the first step to to serving in this house, but most importantly, it's the way we disciple you into encountering the Lord every day. Just text the word CONNECT to 59090, and we will uh, send all of that information to you. I'm excited. This is the summer of prayer. The Lord spoke to us at the beginning of the year that this summer would be the summer of prayer and that we would, we would operate in guerrilla spiritual warfare, that we would do and obey the Lord in ways that would advance the kingdom. And one of those ways is we're, we're organizing a prayer at the Texas State Capitol on July the 18th. It's coming up. If you'd like more information about that, yeah, it's going to be awesome. If you'd like more information about that, if you want to participate in that prayer, just text the word capital to 59090. Notice the spelling, capital with an O to 59090, and we'll get that information sent back to you. If you'd like to see my notes, just text the word no, to so that same number, 59090, and everything that is in front of me will be sent to you. All right, family, let's lock in. Are you ready? I said, are you ready? My voice is a little Horse this morning, that just happened. I don't know what happened there. I think it happened when I tried to hit that note. See, some of y'all, y'all were waiting on it, right? Some of y'all heard it. I heard it. Don't, I've been leading worship for 20 years. I said, you can have it all. And it just, I missed it. It's okay. It happens to the best of us. Might as well acknowledge it. But I need you to lock in with me this morning because I'm going to talk about being an unshakable warrior So I'm going to go there. We're going to dive into all of the things that can be shaken. Let's turn with me in the Bible to Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Let me go to verse 21. It says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying... Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance or a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I've come to ask you this morning, are you a foundation stone or a stumbling block? The title of my message today is Unshakable. Let's pray. Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. Father, we invite your presence into this room. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have stepped into this place this morning, and we acknowledge that you are here today, Holy Spirit. And Lord, we don't make room for you, but we give you the room. Lord, I thank you that nobody came to hear me this morning, but we all came to hear you. So we ask that you would speak Holy Spirit, speak through me, God. Lord, I pray that every word that comes from your heart would take root in our hearts and lives and would initiate change. And Father, anything that doesn't come from you, let it fall to the wayside and die. But We love you. We ask that you would teach us how to spiritually grow today. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say amen. 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 Well, 2023 is the year of dunamis power. It is the prophetic word over this house for this year. It is the year that the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit goes from on us to in us. It is the year that dunamis is given to us so that we may strengthen and fortify. Strengthen and fortify the foundations of our faith and who we are. This is the year church family that the spirit of the Lord is raising up warriors he's raising up men and women that are unshakable that are unmovable whose foundations are strong you know when we gave that word at the beginning of this year we began to prophesy that it was a year to strengthen and fortify and is powered God's raising up warriors it's exciting it's a great word, and then you begin to see all of the areas in your life that need to be strengthened and fortified. It's like you ever you we all we live in Texas, so you know we get cracks in our walls sometimes because it's either flooding or it's bone dead Sahara Desert dry. It's either snowmageddon or 176 degrees outside. There is no there's about a, a day and a half that the weather's just beautiful usually around March, and so you begin to see these cracks, and then it never fails. You ask somebody to come out and take a look. Hey, I saw one crack in my wall over here. Can you come out and take a look and tell me if I've got any foundation problems, and all of a sudden, the whole house is falling down. It's like you begin to dig, and you begin to look, and then you see the problems that are lying beneath the foundation, and it takes effort And it takes expertise to strengthen and fortify the foundations of a home. And it takes expertise to strengthen and fortify the foundations of our lives. And when we invite the Holy Spirit into that place and we say, God, begin to strengthen and fortify us. Some of us didn't know what we were asking at the beginning of the year. Because there's some of you in the room that God said, okay, I'm going to strengthen and fortify. And then all of a sudden you lost your job. God spoke to you to quit your job. And others of you said, I'm going to strengthen and fortify in the area of relationships. And all of a sudden, God said, I need you to prune some friendships out of your life. And then in others, you said, I need to strengthen and fortify. And God said, I need you to move cities. And you picked up and moved and things that began to be shaken and twisted and changed. And you say, what is going on in my life? Why is everything seeming to be turning upside down and being twisted? And God said, you asked me to strengthen and fortify. And you've got to go deep in order to strengthen. You've got to go deep in order to fortify the foundations of our faith. Because God is raising up unshakable warriors in this season. Why? Why would God be raising up warriors? It's so... It's so obvious to me now, but as he was speaking this to us, and I'm like, yes, because I'm a fighter, baby. I'm a fighter. If you follow me on Instagram, you know. I'm a fighter. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to pick up the sword of justice. Let's, let's storm the front lines. Let's go. Let's fight. I'm ready to go. And then God says, I'm raising up warriors. and You're like, yes, warriors. Then you realize, oh, it's because it's a season of war. Wait a second. I want to be a warrior in peacetime. I really want to be strengthened and fortified in the valley. And I want to sing and worship and flowers in the fields and everything beautiful. But God said it's a season of war. How many feel it? Come on. But when there's a war in the spirit, it means that God is setting you up to advance the kingdom. See, there's never a defensive war when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. We don't just set back and defend ourselves. No, we go into the camp of the enemy and we take ground and territory. You see, God is raising up warriors so that you may possess the promised land that he's called you and your family to possess. The promised land of righteousness. How many of you have people in your family that you want to see walk in righteousness? The promised land of holiness. The promised land of spiritual and mental and physical health for your family. The promised land where your marriage is filled with joy. Where your children rise and call you blessed. Where your sons and daughters dream dreams and prophesy. Where families pray together and encounter God, where your home is saturated in the presence of the Lord. But you can't walk in that kind of victory if you are afraid of the fight because there is an enemy that the Bible said is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. And as you pursue the things of God with your family, as you say, all right, I'm gonna learn how to connect with God every day, and I'm gonna seek the face of the Lord, and I'm gonna listen for his voice and step out into obedience to do what he's called me to do. And I'm gonna gather my wife and my husband and my children together, and we're gonna seek God. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And this will be a house of his, presence do you think that the enemy just sets back (laughs) and says just let this family become a family that will advance the kingdom no the enemy's ears are perked up and all of the sudden generational curses that seem to not bother you are all of the sudden aroused and awoken why because you weren't doing anything before Because you were no threat before you began to refocus and reshift and change. You were no threat when you were just a cute little church member who came to church once a week or maybe once a month and and you didn't really seek God and you didn't ask the Lord for direction and you didn't do what Jesus said to do, which is pray about everything. And you didn't begin to step out in faith and obedience and you didn't begin to see things shift and change and extended families stop and say, hey, hey, what's different about you and what's going on? And your coworkers tapping you on the shoulder and say, what's this joy that you seem to be walking in, even in the midst of confusion? And how are you all of the sudden succeeding in these areas in life, and why do you just keep stepping out and doing crazy things and they seem to be working out for you? And all of a sudden, you start stepping out in obedience to the Lord and developing intimacy with Him, and then things that you thought were dead begin to raise up again. The voice of the enemy begins to try to distract you and confuse you. And if you're going to continue on this path, you must be strengthened and fortified. You must be an unshakable warrior. You must shake off the narcissism of the American church. Wake up from our self-centered stupor. The narcissism that defines American church culture today says, I feel, therefore, that is reality. The narcissism of American culture today says, I feel excluded, therefore, America is exclusionary. It says, I feel like a victim, therefore, it's everybody else's problem, and it's not mine. I take no responsibility. The culture today says, I feel like a woman, therefore, I'm a woman. I feel like a man, therefore, I'll just become a man. I feel like my sin should be celebrated, therefore, the Bible supports it. I feel like I'm loving, therefore, I am loving. I feel empathy for people, therefore, I'll simply tell them what they want to hear. Ah, I got real quiet in here. Because we are in the midst of a narcissistic spirit of the age that says whatever you feel is reality and truth. See, the church doesn't exist for people. Mm. The church doesn't exist for people foundationally. The church is a people that exists for Jesus. Our goal and our job and our purpose for coming into the house of the Lord is not so that we can feel good about ourselves. Our purpose is that we may minister to the heart of the Father. That we are a people that exist for Jesus. That say we will lay it all down for you. I wanna give you a warning this morning. Don't think that the narcissistic spirit of the age isn't chasing you and your family. Ephesians chapter 4 verse verse 14 says this, So that we may no longer be children, say no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Say, grow up. up. Come on, speak it to your spirit. Say, spirit, grow grow up. We are to grow up into Christ. We are to recognize and realize that it is not about the way I feel. It is not about placating my emotions and my flesh. That this walk with Jesus is not all about me, but I die to myself, and my foundation is in Christ Jesus. The language of the false doctrine of feelings-based theology sounds something like this. It says, I feel like Jesus would want me to do X, Y, Z. It says, I'm a Christian, but I don't necessarily take everything in the Bible seriously. It says, I feel like God would want this or that. You see, we've substituted, I believe or I feel for what the Bible says. And then we've convinced ourselves that we are theologically sound. The language of the false doctrine of feelings-based theology says things like love is love. And I saw a clip from a church this last week. They added another one. They opened up the service by saying, love is love is love. And not only is that a meaningless statement because you cannot define a term using the term itself, but it is profoundly anti-biblical. And one source puts it this way. The phrase love is love is often used to express the belief that love is a universal human experience. And that all forms of love are both valid and equal. Uh, But 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from who? God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love is love is a phrase used to manipulate Christians into silence by using carefully selected scripture out of context as a tool to legitimize every form of sin and perversion. You see, love is defined by the Word of God, not by the culture or your emotions. The world says love, and love is love, but Jesus says the Bible defines love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says love is patient and kind and does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not self-seeking. It keeps no record of wrong. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Not your truth. Say, not your truth. The truth. Love always protects, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Listen, love is a lot of things, but love is not silent. Love is not filled with pride. And love is not defined by what you feel. You see, God is love, but love is not God. Oh, I got to say that again. The Bible says that God is love, but love is not God. You see, we live in a society that has elevated love above the Lord. And we have said, Love is the God that we will serve. And not the biblical love, but the love that makes me feel a certain way. The love that appeases my flesh. We have reduced God to one single attribute. Yes, God is love. But, ladies and gentlemen, God is a lot of things. He is also judgment, He is also vengeance. He is also righteousness and truth. He is moral clarity. He is peace and he is war. The love of God does not diminish or eliminate the righteousness of God. The world says things like there are many ways to love God. Oh, but Jesus says in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The Bible prescribes how we are to love God, not you. Ah, Do you feel that pushback? I'm going to bring awareness to it. Do you feel the pushback in the room? Why? Because this is agitating to the flesh because we don't like to be told that we don't get to decide how we're going to do things. We don't like to be told that we don't get to decide how to love the Lord, that we don't get to decide how we're going to have church, that we don't get to decide what to do and when we do it and how to do it. Why? Because we're independent. We're strong and we're brave and we're Americans and nobody's going to tell me what to do about anything. But the Bible prescribes how we are to love the Lord. The Bible describes and defines what love is not you and not me the world says things like Jesus just wants me to be myself Woo! I felt it crystals cracking up I can feel that pushback and there's this question well wait a second what do you mean Jesus doesn't want me to just be myself Jesus made me yes he did sweet daughter precious son, Jesus made you in his image and his likeness, but he made you to be higher than your base fleshly wants and desires. The world says Jesus just wants me to be myself, and Jesus says die to yourself. In Luke chapter 9 verse 23, he said, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny what? Himself. Ah, and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words. Ah, you see, we love to proclaim Jesus. And we love to proclaim the love of Jesus, but when we begin to talk about the righteousness and the holiness and the standards and the words of Jesus, all of a sudden we get real quiet. All of the sudden our flesh begins to be agitated. But Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Say, I am not my own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the frutility of their minds. In other words, where you are in your flesh. Verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25 says this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. There is no your truth and my truth. There is only the truth, no matter how we feel. So stop endorsing heresy because it feels good. Ha. stop liking Instagram posts that endorse heresy because it made you feel good stop following Facebook prophets and repost them and go ooh, this is so good I got nothing to do with the Bible it has nothing to do with the word of God but all of a sudden it made my flesh feel good and special and loving and so we gravitate to it Instead of stopping and asking the Holy Spirit, does this grieve your heart? Does this line up with the word of God? You say, we say heretical things like God is in control. I know God is in control, but we've got to ask ourselves, what spirit am I speaking these things in? Many of us say stuff like God is in control as a way to justify our inactivity and cowardice in the face of evil. The truth is, you just don't want to be uncomfortable, unpopular, and accountable for moral statements of absolute truth. So when we are faced with evil, when we are faced with the company, with the place of business that we work, and they send you emails, and they tell you, you must do this, and you must do that, and you must repeat evil, and we are faced with an organized system that is trying to steal the innocence of our children that is doing everything. And we call you as leaders in the body of Christ to pray, to speak out, to show up, to say not in my city and not in my state and not with our children. We say things like, oh, well, God is in control. And we say it because we don't want to be held accountable for absolute moral truth. And so we use these platitudes that we throw out as a reason, as an excuse to make our flesh feel good about abdicating our responsibility as unshakable warriors. You see, the unshakable are courageous. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9 says this, have I not commanded, somebody say commanded, commanded you be strong and courageous do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Ephesians 5 11 says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. See, the world tells us heretical things like all of your feelings are valid. This is going to upset some people. But Jesus says, be led by the spirit and not by your flesh. Jeremiah seventeen nine. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Listen, your feelings are important, but they should not be determinative. Go ahead and put those pictures up. There's some memes that were recently or that were put out that I found. The first one here says. Your feelings matter even when other people don't understand them. And even if you can't make sense of them yourself, there's no should when it comes to how you feel. The next one says this. You're not sensitive. You're not overreacting. If it hurts you, it hurts you. Don't let anyone invalidate your feelings ever. Why? Because we live in a culture that worships ourselves and calls it Jesus we have knelt down at the altar of emotion and called it worship unto the Lord I want to caution you because I already know some of the things that would rise up in you it is not gaslighting to tell you to control your emotions it's the Bible and I don't care what you were told at college And I don't care what you were told by your counselor. It is not gaslighting to tell you not every feeling you have is valid. The Bible says that there's an enemy that is seeking to devour you. That there is an enemy who seeks to put unhealthy, unwise, selfish, and prideful thoughts and feelings in your mind. And Jesus says to take authority over every vain imagination to cast it down. Proverbs 29:11 says this, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Just because you feel something doesn't mean you should feel something. Ah. We have a value at mercy culture of forgiveness. It says like this, it says we put it this way, it's not optional. We love mercy so we show mercy. Forgiveness is for you, not for them. There is no spiritual growth without forgiveness. It's also one of our leadership standards. It's one of the five non-negotiables. Being a leader in this house, you must forgive. You're never more like Jesus than when you are forgiving other people. Yet we are inundated with offense everywhere around us. We are constantly told that it is a moral virtue to be offended, be offended by everything. See, the first question that you ought to ask yourself when you're offended is, is, should I be offended? It should not simply be a statement that I'm offended, therefore it's valid. You got to ask yourself, should this offend me? Because we've got a lot of offended Christians walking around Uh, placating our flesh and emotions, resting in our anger and offense towards others because my feelings are valid and nobody and no Bible and no God and no Holy Spirit and certainly no believer can tell me differently. (laughs) Why does the enemy do that? Because, family, there is no greater evangelist for atheism than a miserable Christian. You better? Anybody ever seen a miserable, angry, depressed, upset, always mad, always frustrated, always in their emotion and feeling, and then say, I'm a Christ follower, and anybody lost go, ooh, I want to live like that. <laughs> I wish I could be miserable and angry and upset and victimized and, and just bursting out of and expressing my emotion and setting in my No, no, no. There is no greater evangelist for atheism than a miserable Christian. You have a moral obligation to pursue joy. Philippians chapter 4 verse 4 says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Say always. Always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with Thanksgiving let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus and then it goes on in verse 8 this famous this famous verse says finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just and pure and lovely and commendable if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. But we say foolish, unbiblical things like, well, it's just how I feel, and I can't control how I feel. Anybody ever, don't raise your hand, but some of us have said that, right? I've said it. I've said it in the past. I've certainly said it to myself. This is just how I feel. I'm being authentic. I'm being real. No, you're being fleshly. Yes. Ah. You're not being real. You're being disobedient. You're not being real. You're being rebellious. You're not being real. You're refusing to die to your flesh. You're not being real. You're abandoning the Holy Spirit of God and His leadership. Ha! because we think that we can't control how we feel, yet all of this scripture and hundreds more tell you to get control. Tell you to lean into the spirit and with and through the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to not be anxious and to tell your flesh that you will think on things that are praiseworthy and of good report. I want to give you two of the most powerful words in the English language. Are you ready? So what? Some of us in this room need a so what attitude for happiness. I call it the so what solution. When you are faced with things that irritate you and bother you, you ask yourself the question, so what? Because the more you allow to bother you, the less happy you'll be. And I want to give a disclaimer. There are situations so serious that a so-what attitude would not only be inappropriate, it would be dangerous. So I'm not telling you to put your head in the sand and ignore all serious situations that face you. I'm not telling you that there aren't people who deal with true depression and that need help and counseling and that that need deliverance. And the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm not telling you that there aren't situations so debilitating that the pain is real. And we must express that and have brothers and sisters come alongside of us and help us walk that out. But, but for so many believers, we allow a flat tire to ruin our week. We allow one coarse word or look from somebody at our job to throw us off for a month because we have bought into the lie of the world that everything you feel is valid. Chris, you can come up and begin to play. I think we need some music to soften this. <laughs> we Bought into the lie that everything we feel is valid. There's no more obvious place than within our our own marriages yeah I'm going there you see some of you in this room prayed and fasted and believed God for a good man who loved the Lord and you spent half of your time screaming and yelling and fighting because he left his socks on the floor Nikki and I have been in ministry for over 20 years, and we've sat down with people, two wonderful people who love Jesus, and they can't get over the fact that the husband leaves the toilet seat up. You think it's funny. I'm being serious. And anger, fighting, contempt. The enemy has worked his way into the middle of a beautiful, godly relationship because neither one of them could say so what the husband that gets frustrated because every time he comes home the mail is still in the mailbox and all you ask her to do was bring in the mail when she brought the kids home from school and so he yells and fights and gets angry at his precious wife who's a godly woman who loves him and loves his children we didn't stop and say well wait a second so what He gets home and there are another three Amazon boxes sitting on the front porch that amount to about $12. And he yells and screams and fights instead of going, you know what? So what? When Nikki and I were first married, those of you who know my wife, the woman is truly saintly. She really is. Now she got an honorary sign. And soon and very soon, I'm gonna tell y'all some of those stories. I got the mic now, but she got an honorary sign. But the woman is truly saintly. She loves Jesus and she loves me and she loves our children. And she's a woman of God. When we first got married, I was young and stupid. My God, I was stupid. I don't know if every 21 year old is as stupid as I was, but I I, I set the bar. If you're gonna do anything, do it all the way. I was so selfish. And I had this idea of what my marriage and what my wife was supposed to look like. And I had compared her to other people and we were leading worship and I wanted her to be administrative and I wanted her to do this and I wanted her to do that and I wanted her to know how to do the, And I would get so frustrated. What I found was that I was diminishing the gift that God had given to me in my immaturity. focusing on insignificant things instead of gratitude for the gift that God had given to me. You see, it's real hard to be self-centered and narcissistic and grateful at the same time. I'm not telling you, ladies and gentlemen, to ignore truly unhealthy elements of your marriages or relationships. I'm not telling you, if you have a husband that's abusive to you, to say, so what? No, that's evil. Listen to me, that's evil. I'm not talking about ignoring evil. I'm talking about getting our flesh under control. Let's go back to our story in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. We see Jesus, he is in Caesarea Philippi. And he's speaking to his disciples. And they've been walking with Jesus for a while. And he's performed all of these incredible miracles. And he asks them, who do people say that I am? And they begin to tell him, some people say this, and some people say that, and some people say this. And then he asks, who do you say? And Simon speaks up. Ah. Oh. He said, You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Now you have to understand. In this point in scripture, Jesus had yet to clearly and articulate articulately declare that he was the Messiah. And Simon spoke it out of his spirit. He said, You are the Christ. And what did Jesus say? Blessed are you. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then he said, and on this rock, I will build my church. He said, he said, Peter, you just graduated from the place of your flesh to the place of your spirit. Peter, you just decided I'm going to go from what I feel and what I sense and what I believe and what's in my head and You went into your spirit and you said, Father, what are you saying? And he declared in this place, this place that has great spiritual significance to the Jewish people. Historically, it has been known, Caesarea Philippi, this place where Jesus was standing had been known as the portal to hell. Still to this day, been known as a demonic stronghold, the way, the gates, the portal, the door into hell itself. And Jesus took his disciples there. He said, who do you say I am? And standing in the gateway of hell, Peter spoke out of his spirit. He said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Jesus said, oh, Peter, you're a foundation stone you're a rock you're you're unshakable you're unmovable and upon my church i will build my church upon this unshakable rock what is the unshakable rock it is a mind focused on the will of the father what is the unshakable rock it is a man and a woman who says no matter what it costs me and no matter what it feels like i'm gonna choose To lean into my spirit and to crucify my flesh and to listen to the voice of the Father. And then, just a couple of verses later, in verse 21, Jesus begins to tell his disciples all the unpleasant things. Begins to tell them, I'm gonna be killed, I'm gonna be persecuted. I'm going to be real unpopular. The chief priests are going to string me up. They're going to hang me on a cross. They're going, to, they're going to murder me like a common criminal. And you know what the disciples had to be thinking. Well, wait a second. We've been going around with you for a long time. If the authorities are coming after you, they're, they're going to come after me. they're gonna start chasing after me. And Jesus, you're talking about, you're talking about it costing me everything. See, I love the Jesus that I have built in my own image, the Jesus that I have carved. I love all the loving things and the meek and the mild and the lowly and the, I love you and I wanna bless you and whatever you bind in heaven is bound on earth and whatever you lose is heaven, loose on earth. But all of a sudden you're talking about this, suffering and and pain? All of a sudden, you're talking about it costing me everything to follow you? You see, the false doctrine of feelings-based theology only accepts the parts of Jesus that we feel good about. But if you don't hear anything, hear this this morning. A partial Christ is Antichrist. The Bible teaches us there are millions upon millions of people around the world serving a partial Christ. Only loving the Jesus that gives them stuff only loving the Jesus that requires nothing out of us. We see this all the time. When you begin to preach the truth, you begin to say, wait a second, there's a life so much greater than one that is only focused on your wants and your desires and your flesh wait a second, I know it looks like it's impossible and I know it looks like it's gonna cost you everything and I know it looks like, how could you tell me to lay this down and this is my sexuality, this is my identity, this is who I am, this is how I feel, I'm just being authentic, I know it looks like it's impossible. When you begin to say there's a life so much greater in following Jesus, there's everything, he's everything, he's worth it, he's worth it. And then you, they start sending you messages and emails and telling you to your face, you know, I love your, your Jesus, the loving Jesus. People say stuff like, where's that Jesus that just, that loves us and accepts us just like we are and doesn't want us to change and honors every feeling and emotion that I have. But the moment that you begin to preach the whole Jesus. Like Jesus said to Simon Peter, like he said to the disciples, guys, it's gonna cost you everything. It's gonna cost you everything. Those that want their life will lose it. Those that lay down their life will gain it all then even the the ones that just a couple of verses earlier were a foundation stone all of a sudden we began to rebuke the lord like simon peter did imagine he took jesus to the side i need to talk to you jesus the bible says he rebuked him He said, far be it from you. This will never happen. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, get thee behind me. He said, you're a hindrance to me. And that Greek word, hindrance, actually translates to the phrase stumbling block. The rock of the foundation of the church stepped into his flesh and became a stumbling block. As you're strengthening and fortifying this year, as you're leaning into the things of God, as you're asking God, reveal, reveal it all to us, Lord. Reveal it all, reveal it all, reveal it all. Strengthen me in every way, fortify my life in every way. Be aware. Be aware that the enemy may not get you with the obvious things. He may not get you to stop believing in God and start believing in a false God and Buddha and Muhammad and become an atheist. He he may not get it get you to be that clear. He may not get you to become a drug addict, start cheating on your spouse, to start abusing your children, to start doing all of the things that we think of. No, he may take the very rock and turn it into a stumbling stone. You See, he took Simon's love for Jesus Turned it into a stumbling, a stumbling stone for the kingdom. For so many of us, the love for people, the love of the love of God, the enemy gets in and begins to pervert it. And before we know it, the rock that God wants to build his house on has become a stumbling stone. The rock, the foundation that God wants to build his church on becomes the very thing that trips people up as they pursue the Lord. We see it in church after church and believer after believer and preacher after preacher, their love for Jesus has turned into the false doctrine of a feelings-based theology. Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus. come on just if you have the gift of the holy spirit begin to pray in your heavenly language nobody's prophesying in tongues the bible says that we build ourselves up in our most holy faith that we pray the mysteries of heaven when we pray in our heavenly language come on just begin to pray in your heavenly language Come on, just take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Lord Jesus, just begin to ask him what what rocks have turned into a stumbling stone. Lord, where have I allowed my love for you to be perverted? Jesus, what areas have I deviated from your truth? Ask yourself this morning is there anything that I won't let go of for you? Come on, ask yourself, is there anything that I won't let go of for you? Is there any belief? Is there any emotion? Is there any feeling? Is there any temptation? Is there any person? Is there any... TV show or situation or money or job or hope or dream, is there anything that I say, no, no, this is off limits? No, no, you can't touch this. No, you can't go there. No, no, you're not going to have it. Is there any area in my life where I am rebuking you, Jesus? Is there any area in my life that my love for you has turned into a stumbling stone is there any area in my life that i refuse to yield it to you because it's too precious to me it's too important to me it's more important than it is to you what am i holding on to that i need to give to you come on just begin to ask him let's stand to our feet let's stand to our feet and worship him and ask the lord to speak to us holy spirit I pray that you would speak to your people Lord speak to your people Lord would you reveal the stumbling stones in our lives would you reveal it Lord Jesus